0: Oh, it's a great Monday. Probably the greatest Monday is this millennia. And I say that, at least for me, because, well, the Braves are in the World Series, and that has not happened in this millennia. So a tremendous Monday. We are glad you are with us. I'm excited to be here. We will hear from Sid Bream. Braves legend will get his thoughts on putting together a run like this and this Braves team going into the World Series. Unbelievable run. Uh, just unbelievable play. In key moments uh, by this Atlanta Braves team, and so again, state of Georgia is like ground zero for big, big stuff happening this weekend. Braves will be at home uh, in the World Series. You got Georgia, Florida this weekend. A lot of big stuff happening. And oh, by the way, seeing some, I, just watching people post online uh, these ticket prices. I saw one just a minute ago. Somebody said, "Hey, there's two tickets available Upper Tank for eight hundred dollars a piece." Atlanta is going insane for the World Series, and you'll love to see it.
1: Kevin, I just want to sit back today for a couple of hours and let your joy just resonate. <laughs> I mean, amazing, absolutely amazing, incredible, improbable. Uh, to close it out at home was special. I think we all would have loved Game 5, a win there, but what a scene, what a finish, uh, what a moment. Rosario's home run, uh, Matzick coming in, striking out the side including Albert Pujols and Mookie Betts, Will Smith coming in with the finish. Uh, it, was, it was history. It was unbelievable. And what's so cool about this moment for the Braves is you can celebrate, as you mentioned, Kevin, the first trip to the World Series this millennia, going back to 1999. You can, you can appreciate it. You can look back on it. You can talk about it. You can smile about it, But there's still more to come. The real fun starts tomorrow night. Game one in Houston is Atlanta makes a run at the World Series championship. You have the pennant. I think you feel great about what you've done in the postseason, just a remarkable run. And with all due respect to Houston, great team. I know they've dealt with some injuries. Lance McCullers is not going to be available for the World Series, one of their starters, but a lineup that is very formidable. But I think if you're Atlanta, you feel like you have the momentum. I mean, quite honestly, with what you did against LA, who just about everybody at the beginning of this thing said, they're the best team. Well, you beat them and did it without even having to go to a game seven. So I think the Braves feel like they have a mo- a momentum advantage if such a thing exists over Houston. Uh, been a World Series is within reach. Let's celebrate all that's been done. It's incredible to reflect on, to think about. But there's more coming, and it starts tomorrow.
2: I'm Whew. Wa- I'm, uh, I'm watching those highlights. I'm not, I'm not even going to. I'm watching those highlights, Kevin and BJ, and I'm saying to myself, everything you want it, in a game, you got it. Theatrics, theater, you know, you got you got the drama. You got, you know, you got the back and forth. But, B.J., <clears throat> there was a wise gentleman that said to win in the postseason, you have to win with pitching. Well, if you saw the end of that game, Masnick to Mentor, I know Luke Jaskin, you know, he had an appearance. And Mr. Will Smith himself, it's like he took command of the mound. He, I mean, he had control out there. He looked poised. Eddie Rosario, I mean, he's a rock star. He's a, he's an Atlanta Braves legend for life. I mean, Austin Riley showed off, you know, uh, his defense. And Freddie Free is Freddie Free. But what the unstoppable force meets the immovable object, who wins? I don't know which one was which, but I do know that in the process of these Braves learning how to win through losing, because BJ, you saying you learn how to win from losing? Well, this Braves team got a lot better from year in and year out. And I'm looking, and once again, Kevin was going through the message boards and all this. If if a if was a fifth, what would we all be? I think you you have to be old enough to know you know how to finish that. But I give this Braves team a lot of credit because they stayed poised. Like the note it's funny when these narratives become you know you prove these narratives right. Oh, we just want to win the truest, and they did. It was in dramatic fashion, and and the last guy on the, and the last guy to get struck out was Mookie Betts. Mookie comes to the mound and there go Will Smith. Will Smith said, and BJ, what Kevin said, he got this is the way he gets. Kevin said, they, they paid these guys for the postseason. Will Smith was on the mound. He looked poised. He looked confident. And what's the way? What, we parted it. Is it okay to party like it's 1999? That's the last time the Braves got in there. And sure. I, know, I know the Houston. Astros are not going to be an easy out. We, we get that part, but the Braves earned it the hard way. Kevin said, "In order to be the man, you got to beat the man." Now they just beat one of them, and that was their and that was their arch nemesis in the National League. You got to be able to beat the Dodgers to make it, you know, to make it to the to the World Series. They got it done. I don't want to hear about who wasn't there because if they say they didn't have Kershaw, well, Atlanta didn't have Ron Lacuna. Atlanta had Marcelo Zuna. Atlanta had Mike Soroka. Ian Anderson grew up a lot. We forget that he got called up just a year ago. And and look at what he's doing in the postseason. So I, I just I just think that I was very very proud of these Braves. I mean, when you look at what they had to go through to get there, I saw the radio. I saw Ben Ingram and those guys on Twitter. They trying to they trying to keep it under wraps, but Truist Park was rocking. Will Smith went out there and earned his money. Now you got them Houston Astros, but everything you want in a closeout game. You saw and dare I say, the guys who were quote the weakest link during the season became. You know, I mean, the guys that got him there, Will Smith, Madison those guys, shout out to them. They went out there and, you know, brought us home.
0: Yeah, and again, I, I look at this team playing with a lot of confidence. And, uh, you know, people were, again, Braves fans. I said, look, BJ, I, I tried to get everybody in, in their mind last week. Look, no curses. They're, look, you either go out and make a play or you don't. And I think this is a Braves team that, uh, that Saturday night went out and made plays. Now, I happen to be out and about. I had my my kids doing some sports and stuff, so I didn't get to watch the game. I listened to it on the radio network. And I'm telling you what, uh, I felt confident. Listening to those guys deliver that game, it was – I've never felt better as a Braves fan uh, in that game. I know people say, well, no, you had the players. You had the guys to put out there – in positions to go get it done, uh, and they did. I mean, you're talking about, you know, Ben Ingram and those guys. Go look, Tyler Matzik delivering one of the performances for the ages. That's why you have him out there. We had a question, take three last week. Who's the biggest key for the Braves to move on? I think one of us said, Eddie Rosario. I said, hey, it's either going to be Luke Jackson or Tyler Matzik, and when you press my feet to the fire, says said, it's Tyler Matzik. He's your high leverage guy. And dude comes in in a huge moment and goes two innings and gives up zilch. I mean, just absolutely huge. And again, you get to the ninth inning, and everybody started feeling it uh, in the ninth inning uh, after Will Smith got the first out. I, again, listened to the radio driving back, uh, back home, and they're like, "Hey, just don't walk the first guy," and they get the first guy out. And then the tone changed. You, as you said, Atlanta had that rap of, "Oh, not a great sports town." I'm sorry. Sounded like Truist Park was about to fall down uh, with with the way the fans were going uh, there on, on on Saturday night. And then Will Smith, as you said, comes in, and you listen to those guys on the radio. And it's like Will Smith strike, yeah, baby, we got like you could see like the announcers are like, we got this. Uh, this is a different team. This is a team that was under five hundred in early August. Could not get above five hundred. We made jokes on this show; they were allergic to five hundred. Can't get above it. Alex Anthopoulos said, Look, I believe in this team. And we're like, Oh, you're going to have to. You lost Ronald Acuna right before the All Star break. That could be the death spiral. It wasn't. But how do you replace Ronald Acuna? Man, you're going to have to go out and really find a star on a struggling team. Nope. You go find the right guys at the right time. And he was able to do that. Jock Peterson for virtually nothing. Eddie Rosario for Kung Fu Panda, who was immediately cut when he left. You reworked a roster that has a new starting outfield and basically gave up two prospects of any consequence. One was Bryce Ball, who's a power-hitting first baseman, and as long as Freddie Freeman's here, he was not going to play. The other was Bryce Wilson, who, again, solid pitcher. Was he going to crack this Braves rotation? Probably no more so than a fifth starter. So for that, you were able to rework your entire roster and change the dynamic of that team and, man, has it been a lot of fun. And, again, if you're a Braves fan, I know people say, don't be just happy to get there. I'm not. But enter this postseason with confidence. You have a pitching staff that can get the job done. You have a lineup. I Yeah, I'll run down the Astros lineup. That's fine. Let me run down the Braves lineup. You have a lineup that can go blow for blow with the Astros at the plate. This isn't the 99 Braves. This isn't the 95 Braves where it's Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, and we're just going to beat everybody 2-1. to one. You can do that, but they can also beat guys 7-2. to two. And you should be entering this World Series with a lot of confidence. I'm not chalking anything up. But you should enter this postseason as a Braves fan with a lot of confidence in what this team does and way they go about their business each and every day and guys that can go out there and get the job done. Look, I'm the biggest Braves fan out there feel confident going into this series. I'm not overconfident. I'm not chalking anything up, but I'm excited about what this team is capable of doing and seeing what they're going to be able to do.
1: And I think when you talk about getting here, there, there are a couple of guys that stand out to me. You know, you guys have already mentioned them, but just to spend a few more minutes, Tyler Matzik, baseball is one of those sports where we tend to focus on the home runs. And then we tend to focus on the moments at the end of the game, right? The ninth inning I'm watching two runners, get on base. Okay. I'm watching a tenuous lead start to become a little iffy. You are watching. Yeah. And we're getting a uh, very poignant notes here on the, uh, on the <laughs> Facebook chat, but you're watching, uh, the Dodgers come up with Albert Pujols, first ballot hall of famer, Mookie Betts, recent MVP. And you're thinking, this is, this is a time. This is where the game could turn. And Tyler Matzik not only comes out, he comes out and strikes out the side, and he is challenging guys. I mean, that 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 strikeout against Mookie Betts, he was throwing fastballs right down the middle and basically saying, hey, man, you're one of the best players in the league, but I'm going to bring what I have and let's go. And, and not only did he get out of the jam and preserve the lead, I think he sort of validated everything that the Braves were doing in that moment. You're talking about the team, the L.A. Dodgers, the world champs, superstars on the roster. It looks like the, the momentum's starting to go the other way, and you come out and shut it down. And then Eddie Rosario, I mean, I don't know, Kevin, if there's a historical parallel here. And you've had guys who have had great moments, Freddie Freeman, Jock Peterson. But just for frame of reference so people understand how much of an outlier his production is, in the postseason, he's batting four seventy-four. The second-best average on the team in the postseason is Freddie Freeman at 294. So you're talking about a substantial what's that 180 whatever it is points higher 474 for rosario and the home run that will forever be remembered in atlanta lore it was incredible and then Alex Anthopoulos. you guys know i'm I'm pessimistic when it comes to this stuff and i'm looking around ben you were telling me he's got it and i'm looking around going what moves are they going to make and none of those moves i think bringing duval back uh was something that that a lot of people were pleased about but it's not like you brought in superstars right it's Okay, you get you get Peterson. Well, he's come through in the clutch. You get Duvall, really helps you down the stretch. You get Solaire, has done it all for you. And it all has added up to this memorable season, this pennant, and now a shot at the World Series. And I think for a lot of Braves fans, you're just looking around and you're and you're so overjoyed. You almost don't know what to say. And I think that's okay. I don't know that we all expected to be here. I don't know that we all projected a Braves run the World
2: Series when they were struggling to get over 500, but Ben true, here they are. Yes, here they are, BJ, and they playing with conviction. they playing with, I know Kevin always talk about confidence. No, they build up the confidence the last four years to be able to say, look, Alex Anthopoulos, you give him a lot of credit. He said, I can't build, I can build this team around Freddie Free because I, I've seen where Freddie Free did before I got there. Freddie Free was good on a bad Braves team. Now, anybody would love to build a team around the Ronald Jr., but I can't build my team around the latest and the greatest. Let me give a guy that's been doing it. Freddie Free is what you built your team around. And he said, I could build my team around not just one guy. You talk about Duval or Soler. You talk about Rosario. You know, you talk about these guys. BJ, they are superstars. They're superstars for what the Braves need them to do. Might not be superstars on a national scale. Is there a bigger star in baseball right now than Eddie Rosario? Because he's the last one on TV. And every time you <laughs> see him, he's balling. I get it. He's not Bryce Harper. Don't need to be Bryce Harper's watching. No, he's not Mike Trout. Mike Trout has been to the playoffs one time. So when people start talking about being, quote, the face of baseball, Superstars and legends are made in October. Ask Eddie Rosario. 14 hits. 14. There are guys struggling to get 14 hits during the season. <laughs> he has 14 hits in this postseason. So, yes, the thing about Alex Anthopolis is about putting the right pieces together to go along with the culture of this Braves team. I'm very, very impressed with them. I know my grandfather's somewhere looking down from heaven saying, Man, my boys are back in it. I know, Kevin, you still got to win it. But if you sometimes. You know, as we say, if when Georgia plays Alabama, they'll say, oh, they'll go to the national championship right there. Then they got to go to the college football playoff. Well, I just played the best team I'm going to play. I'm not saying that the Dodgers are better than Houston. I'm saying there ain't too many teams in, in baseball better than the Dodgers. You come through that, you come through that type of a uh, road. I think you built to go out there and play with anybody.
0: Yeah, should be coming into this thing with a lot of confidence. We've got a lot to talk about in terms of the Braves in the World Series. Oh, by the way, it's Georgia and Florida in Jacksonville this week. We'll talk about that coming up on the show as well. Franz Beard, Gator Country will join us. Shannon Stell, former Gators All-American offensive lineman will join us. John Stinscombe, former All-American offensive tackle there at Georgia. He will join us in the final hour. We're talking Georgia and Florida today on the show as well. But when we come back, really doesn't need a whole lot of introductions. If you are a Braves fan, you know Sid Bream and maybe the most famous slide at the plate in Braves history. Sid Bream will join us next here on 3 and Out. Braves over the weekend, close it out against the Dodgers, headed to the World Series, absolutely electric atmosphere there in Truist Park. And our next guest knows something about that, sending the Braves on in the postseason most famous play at home plate in uh, in Braves history. Sid Bream joins us here on 3 and Out. Sid, welcome to the show. How are you?
3: I'm doing great, guys. I mean, great to talk to you again.
0: Yeah, we appreciate you coming on. The Braves headed to the World Series. Uh, Nothing like that feeling uh, to see a team finish it off in the national League and, and, and get there I know you were a part of that uh, with the Atlanta Braves you watch this team and uh, this team has an entirely new outfield from where they where they started the season missed a couple of key pieces in that uh, that rotation. What do you take from this team and kind of their uh, their ability to get it done from what you guys did there when uh, when you guys were, were pushing you guys through?
3: You know, I I really look back to the '91 season. I mean, when we, you know, Terry and and myself and Charlie and Raphael Belliard came onto the scene, and and uh, you know, watching you know watching this team. I mean, at the beginning of the year, I mean, a lot of people were probably, you know, had had very very uh, a lot of doubts, thinking, man, are we ever going to do anything, let alone, you know, get to the get to the playoffs in the World Series and. You know, to watch this team throughout the course of this year overcome obstacles, you know, with Acuna and some others going down. I mean, it uh, really is quite amazing to watch this team, and, and uh, really think that they have some pretty good future and uh, a future ahead of them.
1: And Sid, we saw so many clutch moments from the Braves uh, as they get ready for the World Series. How does the pressure of each at bat in the postseason? Uh, compare. I mean, how much more dramatic are those moments when you're in the playoffs,
3: when you're vying for a spot in the World Series? Well, I mean, you know, with with this being in being in the situation that they're in right now, everything's magnified. I mean, you have you have all the other teams sitting at home watching you right now. I mean, uh, you have the whole world watching you, and uh, you know, so everything's magnified in regards to you have all the different press around the the, the world. You know, uh if you didn't get the job done, I mean they're gonna let you know it. If you did get the job done, you're gonna be the hero and and so that probably is the uh the most significant. I mean, you're just under a magnifying glass during this time frame.
2: And said and what didn't didn't it feel like poetic justice to have like it come down to this bullpen? I know throughout the course of the season people would always kind of fret when you had to go to the bullpen for magic and Mentor, I know Luke Jackson, you know, did his best before Snip pulled him and then to finish it off with Will Smith had to feel good knowing that your weakest link really became a focal point and a strong point for you to make it back to the World Series.
3: I mean, i, I tell you, I mean, you know, the, the bullpen, I mean, you know, obviously Luke Jackson had some had some tough outings, but, uh, you know, he's been so instrumental throughout the whole time frame. But, I mean, this bullpen for, I mean, for the Atlanta Braves has really come in and, you know, we. We didn't play that way. I mean, you know, our starters went as long as they could, but, I mean, the game of baseball has changed so dramatically that, I mean, these starters today, I mean, if they can get to the fourth inning and just start handing it off to the, the, the bullpen, I mean, and, and put, pitching a guy one, maybe two innings at the most and putting somebody else in there, I mean, it, uh, it, it has been proven quite effective, and the Braves bullpen has been doing a super job. And Sid, as a,
0: as a baseball guy, how do you feel about the way that game has changed? As you said, it's the uh, the Braves and Dodgers for the right to go to the World Series. And I think we saw no less than two games in a best of seven where each team said, we're just going to throw guys. Uh, it's it's a bullpen game. Like you said, uh, when you guys went, there was no question who was pitching and, and, and what they were out there to do. Now it's, hey, if we have one or two guys we really trust, the, the other games we can just chalk it up to Johnny Holstaff. And you used to never see that in uh, in postseason games.
3: No, absolutely not. I mean, and again, I mean, this is this is the way the game has changed so dramatically. And, you know, you have great arms. I mean, almost every one of those guys coming out of the bullpen is, you know 95 96 and above and and uh you know when you don't you know they always talk about you know the third time around or the second time around for a starter and how much more difficult it becomes and when you don't have that opportunity to get a a little bit of a feel for a starting pitcher i mean next time up you're you're facing somebody different i mean you're you're having to make adjustments and and, uh, you know, if you're not on top of your game, I mean, it's going to be very, very difficult. And that's that's why a lot of these managers are going to this philosophy.
1: You obviously know the position well, but, uh, Sid, Freddie Freeman, one of the great first basemans in the game, how special is this moment for him
3: to make it to the World Series? And what makes him the all-time great that he is? Well, Freddie, I mean, it, you know, again, at first base, I mean, I watch, him, I watch him play over there, and I mean, and he does, he just does so much, so I mean so much right. I mean he is uh you know in, in scooping balls. I mean he gets down as low as he can to get him on the, the right plane and and uh and then it, and then it, and then the hitting aspect of it all the, the adjustments that he made. And I I'm really surprised with the Dodgers because I mean they found something on Freddie, I mean, up and in, you know, cutters up and in, fastballs up and in underneath his hands with his with his swing and uh they they started that and then they went away from it and Freddie went three for four started to get the itch back and and uh, really came on so he made some great adjustments but I'm really surprised with the Dodgers and it might be that their Dodgers pitching they couldn't they couldn't pitch up there I mean I don't know some of them can some of them can't but uh, they they found something in Freddie and and they never went back to the well after that but uh, Freddie made some great adjustments came back and started playing the game and. And uh, like like you said, I mean, Freddie is a uh, world-class great ambassador for the game, and I'm so proud of him, and, and uh, you know, hope hope he gets a World Series ring this time.
2: Talking talking talk about finding something, I mean, what do the Braves have in a guy like Eddie Rosario who has really just shown the whole world, what you know, uh, what what it's like to be able to live in the moment?
3: Man, Rosario, I mean, man, you know, between him, Austin Riley, and Jock Peterson, I mean, uh, you know, those three guys, but, I mean, Rosario has just been amazing. I mean, he is, he is so locked in right now. I mean, that, that last at-bat when he hit the home run and fouled off eight or nine pitches and, and then hit that low-and-in cutter, I mean, uh, you know, he, he's just so locked in, and I hope it continues throughout the course of this next uh, series.
0: Sid Bream joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and Sid, I know uh, the Braves in the early 90s, they kind of jumped from worst to first and, and started that run. This has been more of the continual build with Brian Snicker and company where they won a division, then they won a playoff series, then they made it to the league championship series. Now they're in the World Series. How do you think this team is now approaching the World Series uh, run? Uh, is it, hey, we finally got here? or is it Not only did we get here, but we expect uh, to, to go out there and win.
3: Well, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, that has to be your attitude, and I, I will say, I mean, that uh, whenever, um, you know, in in that one game where, uh, who hit the home run for the Dodgers? All, all Bellinger hit the home run for the Dodgers, and they lost that ball game, leading five to two going into that inning. It it really took me back to, you know, the uh, World Series where we played Toronto, and and we were winning in that last inning, and. And Ed Sprague hit that home run in order for them to win that ball game. And it, and it really deflated us going up to Toronto. And I was hoping and praying that that wasn't going to be the case with uh, the Braves at this point in time. I mean, and they came right back and, and proved that it wasn't going to be a big deal and, and uh, really, really gave Luke Jackson a big lift because, I mean, shoot, he had let them down a couple times. And, and uh, you know, coming out and winning that next ball game was a great lift for him. Sid, finally,
1: when you look ahead to the World Series, Atlanta and Houston, what's going to be the biggest key if the Braves are going to bring home a championship?
3: Well, again, I mean, you know, what pitchers are going to make mistakes? I mean, that's always that's always the, uh, the big thing here. Who has the pitching? Who's going to make mistakes as far as getting the ball over the middle of the plate? And, and uh, who's going to come up big? Just like Rosario came up so big, I mean, during this last series, I mean, who's going to come up big and, and uh, get something done? I mean, it's pitching. Pitching is everything. I mean, and uh, you know, when pitchers are on, it's very very difficult for hitters to, to hit the ball. And uh, you're you're just hoping for some mistakes and uh, get the ball over the middle of the we'll plate a little bit more. And if if whoever has the best pitching, they're going to be the ones that are going to obviously win the ball game or win the series.
0: Sid Bream, our guest here on 3 and Out. Sid, always a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much.
3: You're welcome, guys. Great talking to you again. Y'all be good down here in Georgia, okay?
0: Will do. Sid Bream, our guest. Thanks so much. And again, BJ, Braves get it done in a big, big way uh, over the weekend and now going to the World Series for the first time since 1999.
1: Absolutely incredible. I mean, I, what a weekend. What a finish. What a night in Atlanta. And great to hear Sid talk about just the memories of the Braves making runs. And Kevin, I thought it was a good question. Ben, now is the expectation. This is where we belong, not just we're playing and we're advancing and this is exciting, but we've won the division four years in a row. We were right on the verge of the World Series. Now we're here.
2: Bigger than, bigger than uh, is this where we belong, this is what we've earned. I mean, that, that immovable object known as the uh, L.A. Dodgers was something that, that was a thorn in the brave side, BJ. And they done it in dramatic fashion. Did it with guys, did, did it with veterans like, you know, in the face of the franchise with a guy like Freddie Freed new guys like Eddie Rosario, Peters Peterson, those guys. But it came down, BJ, to Mr. Will Smith himself. And he got it done. That entire bullpen got it done. Theatrics, Kevin, I mean, that's all I can handle in one game. But whenever this 30 for 30 come out, game six in the NLCS 2021, you might want to watch it because everything you needed and wanted, you got it. Uh, You know, uh, the other night with the Braves, finally making it back to the World Series. Certainly, certainly. And, again, uh,
0: game one coming up tomorrow. We'll have it for you right here. we got more to come. Three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Great to be here with you on three and out braves in the world series georgia and florida playing this weekend in jacksonville saturday 330 georgia early favorite minus 14 bj i know we were talking like maybe is that given where georgia's been at and what they've been doing is 14 not enough uh, coming into this game but kind of interesting bj and Ben that both teams i don't know if you call it questions maybe you call it a quarterback discussion uh, at georgia but both teams with at least talking points around, do you play this guy or do you play that guy at quarterback?
1: And I don't know. I don't know that that we fully what. Okay, I just I, I hear people yelling, and now both of y'all are looking around.
2: What did I miss? No, 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 no. When when uh, when, uh, when Kevin asked you the question, you can hear Christian. I was on Christian Kale saying no right, right after that. Right, I, I don't know if the no meant, no meant not to play either or quarterback. Maybe they're going to go with Carson Beck, which I think every <laughs> Florida Gator fan would love. But, no, I just think that Kevin, you know, I mean, Christian wanted to just yell out no. I don't know if he was saying no to PJ or to Kevin, but either way, he said no. That's All right, well, goes. now I'm
1: totally confused and I forgot what I was going to say. But I will go back to the line you referenced. I think that's interesting, and I don't know – I don't know if that 14-point line from today will move the closer we get to Saturday. And I can kind of see arguments for it being a smaller line or a bigger line, because a, a, a larger line. Because think about this. For as much as you say Georgia-Florida out loud and you think, oh, that's a fourth-quarter game. It's going to come down to the finish. I mean, look at the way Georgia has played people this year. Look at look at the emphatic way Georgia has finished games. It's almost getting to the point this season where it's Alabama-esque, where kind of regardless of the opponent, the line should be 20, 21-plus, and we saw Bama cover a 24-point line against Tennessee. But then on the other side of the coin, you look and you say, dude, it's Georgia-Florida. Like, and, and, Ben, you've been telling me this all season, that in games like this, what's happened up to this point does not matter. You're literally hitting the reset button. What Georgia's done doesn't matter. What Florida's done, because I know a lot of people will – you know go off the transitive property right like look at what Georgia did against this team and look at what that team did against Florida and you know therefore you're going to have a game decided by x total points you can't do that so i do think the emotional kind of pull and gravity of Georgia Florida is going to keep this game closer and also look at it like this and ben tell me if there's any tell me if there's any truth or validity to this maybe similar to what you experienced during your career when you played a highly ranked Georgia team Florida doesn't really have anything to lose. All the pressure's on Georgia. Should Georgia be the favorite? Absolutely. Is Georgia probably the clear favorite? Absolutely. But I think you look at Florida, and we haven't really seen the Gators look right outside of a second half against Alabama. Is this coming off a bye week with some mystery around the quarterback position, a game where you can kind of make Georgia your Super Bowl and come out and kind of play loose and just play football? And I don't know that... Florida's done that. I think Florida's been tense in games this year. Is this a game where the Gators can just come out and play?
2: Florida lost to Alabama by two points, right? Florida loses to Kentucky by seven points, but that was only because, you know, I mean, you got a blocked field goal for a touchdown, and, uh, and the Florida offense only scored, you know, uh, 13 points in that game. Florida loses to uh, LSU by seven points on the road in Baton Rouge, and LSU and Florida is a, is a much better rival than people give them credit for. I say that to say when you talk about Florida-Georgia, I think my first two years of Florida, we was ring higher than Georgia. Georgia might have had the had the better team as far as like talent. My second two years, my 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 junior year and senior year, we were not ring high in Florida. I mean Georgia with Ron the first two years. I watched Michael, Michael McNeely score, you know, a you know, a special team's touchdown from, you know, a, you know, a, a fake field goal. I watched Treon Harris only be allowed to throw the ball five. They only let him throw the ball five times. And Florida won that game. I watched a Georgia team have the whole team come on the field after they scored the first first touchdown. I was in the game to where Rex Grossman set the completion record for the game by throwing ghost screens. I watched Terrence Edwards, the great, you know, arguably the greatest receiver, uh, you know, uh, in uh, Georgia history, drop a wide open touchdown pass. I say that to say, as much as we know what's going to happen, we do not. You do not know what is going to happen. This is the same Georgia team because a lot of these guys is playing this year. And I know they're a different team, spotted Florida 14 points last year. I know people are going to talk about Kyle Pitts and Kyle Trask and Kadarius Toney, right? I just think I am not saying that Florida is going to win the game. Make no mistake about it. That is not what I am saying. I just know this for a fact. Georgia brings out the best in Florida. I know that for a fact. You can look at the fact that when I was at Florida, it was because I had Rex Grossman, I had Taylor Jacobs, I had Rashad Caldwell, I had Carlos Perez, I had Alex Brown. No, I was looking across the field, and I see Kendrell Bell, I see Marcus Stroud, you know, I see Thomas Davis. These are the guys that I had to go up against. So I do think that this Georgia team is is built to, uh, you know, is built for four quarters, top to bottom. But that quarterback controversy thing is going to be serious because Stetson Bennett. Out of all four quarterbacks, is the only one to have played in this game. So I don't know. I don't. I think I kind of know who George is going to pick a quarterback, and I think I kind of know who Florida's going to pick a quarterback. But the but the mind games, Kevin and BJ, is a big part of this game. Why, why why prepare for one quarterback when I can make you prepare for two of them? So I I just I just been a part of this rivalry. I know how great it is. I know how the final score doesn't always tell the full story about what is actually going on in the game. It is going to take Dan Mullen needs this game. You know, for perception reasons, and for the fact you want to show that you are a better developer of talent than than uh, Kirby Smart because you are not a better recruiter of talent than Kirby Smart. That 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 is going to show. If you are Dan Mullen, you need to win this game to prove that Florida is more than just a big name, a, a tradition-rich uh, program that can't get back to the big one. Because I know that Florida is the last team in the East to win a Natty, but Tim Tebow, he's been he's he's tried to play tight end since then. That's how long it's been since Florida has been relevant enough to even sniff the college football playoff. And, and, and BJ, you said it best. Florida comes in with nothing to lose. Well, you always got something to lose. Listen, bragging rights, it's always on the line, but – Georgia has had their way with Florida as of late. Jake Fromm, people can say what they want to say about him. He said, look, man, maybe I should have stayed for four years. Cause I never lost to Georgia. They lost last year, but you asked you had a guy that wasn't even on scholarship as your starting quarterback, and the other guy transferred. That was your two guys last year. So yeah, I just think that the narratives are gonna go on and on and on. But you can you know, when the rubber meets the road, you're gonna have to see who's the best team and Florida is not coming in with the most momentum. Georgia is still, you know, trying to make sure they keep that old, you know, that that O in the, um in the in the L column. And Dan Muller going to have to go out there and prove that he not only can call plays, and unfortunately, Ty Grantham is still on the staff. Yep, he's still the defensive coordinator. He's going to have to go out there and show that they can play for four quarters. But I, I think it's going to be a better game than people give credit for. That 14 points is rather generous. Uh, Kevin, I think that's just the odd making showing respect to a Florida team that can score. But the fourth-ranked rushing team is not Georgia. It's Florida. The second-ranked... Against a second ranked defense, against the rush is Georgia. So, and what, what you know, what uh immovable objects and all these different things we will see come Saturday. But I think it's gonna be you know uh, hopefully a better game that people give it credit for because this Georgia defense forget stingy. They don't give an inch. We'll see if Georgia. We'll see if Florida can kind of you know get those guys out of their rhythm come Saturday.
0: BJ, again, you look at uh, this game early on on a Monday. Where do you think Florida's best hope to upset the? Uh, Undefeated, number one ranked team in the country lies.
1: I think it's with a, a statement start, and and here's what I mean by that more so than uh, something schematic. Because if you're going to draw up a play that you know is going to work against this Georgia defense, you should probably be doing it for a uh, a university or a you know an NFL franchise. This defense has been said is overwhelming. I think what Florida has to do is find a way to make make the first big play or two, and normally in games, you can see the tone of the afternoon set right away, right? Like you might not know who's going to win, but you'll know what type of game it's going to be on the first three or four drives. Is it going to be a low scoring game? Is it going to be, you know, one of those high scoring big 12 games? Is it going to be sloppy? Is it going to be back and forth? Is it going to be a game of runs like Texas, Oklahoma? I think Florida's got to validate themselves early because look, of course the Gators think they can win this game. But I do think when you get out there on the field, if Georgia, who everybody's talking about as a national championship team, comes out and has the first big play or two, I think that's going to quickly turn into three or four. I really do. I think one or two big plays for Georgia will turn into three or four because that's been Georgia's uh, brand this year. Go out, make a couple of big plays, turns into a big win. Florida's got to have a a first punch. And is that a trick play early? Maybe. Is it a special teams play early? Maybe. I know a lot of people – you know, kind of overlook this aspect of, of 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 games, but could you come out and make a defensive statement? You don't have to get a pick six or a fumble. Can you get an early sack? Can you force a quick three and out? Florida's got to do something in the first five minutes of this game to kind of let Georgia know that they're here and they're here to win. I think if that happens, if you see Florida grab some momentum early, I think this is going to be a four-quarter game. If you see Georgia come out first, and you know, big touchdown pass, long touchdown run, and then a the three and out from Florida. I think that's where the game becomes lopsided.
2: I mean, the, the the first five minutes do make you know do make a lot of sense, BJ. But for me, when it comes to this Florida team, you know, against a Georgia team that has so much on the line, can you put pressure on a team that's used to being the one adding? I mean, uh, you know, uh, providing pressure to the other team. Like the one thing that Georgia does, they keep pressure on the on the opposing squad. That, that defense keep, puts pressure on that offense, puts pressure on that offensive line, forces you to do things quicker. And it's not that you can't move the ball. Can you score? Between the 20s, oh, yeah, we're going to let you make, make it look like you're moving the football. Can't you get in the end zone? And, you know, a lot of times when you're playing this game, you don't realize what the coaches are doing for you. You know, when I was there, Ron Zip would always talk about, you know, you've got to look at this as a boxing match. Can you throw a punch or give a punch? Can you be a counter puncher? Can, you know, can you, can you, you know, uh, I mean, can you can you go out there, you know, and get knocked down and get back up again? It's like all these things that he says, because you guys are the fighters. We're in your corner telling you to keep swinging, keep swinging. He says, and, it, and when the fourth quarter comes, can you take a deep breath? Because that's when the game is won or lost. We've all seen teams say, hey, man, I thought it was over in the fourth. Yeah, you better watch it and say you no know, triple zeros. So for me, I think if you Florida win or lose, you want to know what you built for. Because no matter what, it's something Kevin said. Maybe you got to look Impressive in a losing effort. Because you know that's what will happen, right? If Florida loses, but it's impressive, they'll say, hey, man, that foot." because make no mistake about it, Georgia is the better team. That's without question. But if Florida can find a way to be in the game in the fourth quarter, it's one thing for Stetson to make a throw. It's another thing when he has to. It's another thing when – it's one thing when the defense makes a stop. It's another thing when they got to get off the field. Force them to be who they really say – I mean, they are who they say they are. This Georgia defense, BJ and Kevin, I don't know what to compare them to. But how good are they? Because you do throw the records out. You do throw all these different things out. If I am Florida, I'm saying to myself, hey, man, look, we understand who we up against, but we're trying to carve our legacy too because we're coming in as the winner from the previous year with a different cast of characters. So, yeah, Kevin, the storylines are going to just go on and on and on. But that's why you come to Florida. That's why you come to Georgia. If you Brenton Cox, show sure why you Show sure why you, you chose to leave as to come down there uh, to them boys in Gainesville. But I – I've just seen so much with this game, and sometimes the better team don't come out with the victory. Sometimes the best team that day will come out with the victory. We'll see what happens on Saturday, because Florida going to look to be the best team on Saturday going up against the juggernaut of the Georgia uh, yeah, Bulldogs. Team. We've
0: got plenty to talk about here all week long on 3 and Out as we lead you up to uh, Georgia and Florida coming up this weekend in Jacksonville. This is 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Great to be here with you on this Monday, Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Don't forget, coming up Friday, Georgia-Florida Legends Series. Ben, going to be out at uh, the Westin, absolutely free for folks to come out. And I know you've got some uh, Georgia and Florida legends going to be sitting down talking about this game on Friday evening.
2: Yes, uh, everybody, de- ever, listen, we need you guys to be, you know, clear your schedule. Make sure on Friday the 29th you are at the Westin on Jekyll Island at 7 p.m. to watch some of the uh the some of your favorite uh, Georgia Bulldogs and some of your favorite Florida Gators of this game. I mean Willie McL Willy McClendon, Ely. You're talking about Carlos Everest. you know, D I mean D Webb, DJ Jones, Jeff Chandler. It's gonna be it's gonna be listen, this is the thing. Not only is it gonna be fun, it is going to be free. Free 99-99. Kevin Thomas will be there, B.J. Benning will be there, Christian Kela will be there. I mean, you might even see you might you might even you you might get a P.J. Zuko sighting if we're lucky. But make sure you guys are there on Friday, 7 p.m. for the Florida Georgia Legends third annual you know Florida Georgia Legends series with the round table. It should be a lot of fun,
0: certainly. And again, we'll be broadcasting three and lo- three and out live from there uh, prior to uh, Ben's roundtable. So hope you'll come out and join us on Friday there at the Westin on Jekyll Island. We got another hour to go. Take three around the corner here on three and out all across. the – Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter. Love to hear from you at Pigskin Radio. Hour 2, 3 and out. Here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. A lot to get to. We're talking Georgia, Florida here this hour. Franz Beard Gator Country will join us. Also, Shannon Snell, former Gators All-American offensive lineman, will join us here in Hour 2. John Stinchcombe will join us in Hour 2. Number three, former Georgia All-American offensive tackle, and we'll talk some Georgia, Florida with him. But first, it's four o'clock, fellas. Let's take three here on three and out. All right, take one. The Arizona Cardinals. Yes, those Arizona Cardinals are seven and zero, the last undefeated left standing in the National Football League. What are their Super Bowl chances? I mean, they're.
1: They're one of the leading names, and that feels strange, right? Given that Arizona, not that long ago, they were talking about, are we going to have to fire Cliff Kingsbury? And, you know, what are we doing in terms of the direction of our franchise? Tyler Murray is a superstar. He's been incredible to watch, productive, proficient. Uh, you look at the wide receivers, Hop and AJ Green. And I, I mean, it's amazing to watch this offense work. I do have some relative questions, maybe about the defense, but here's. And, Ben, you can speak to this better better than I can. I, sometimes I need to see it with a friend. And I know you could go back to Kurt Warner and Larry Fitzgerald and Anquan Bolden and, and that team. But sometimes I need to see it in the postseason. Um, and, look, Arizona has a chance. They're, they're they're one of the first teams you mentioned. But in my mind, in terms of a postseason matchup right now, I would very confidently pick Tampa. And I know that's not going out on much of a limb uh, when you're talking about Tom Brady and Mike Evans and just everything the Bucs have. But if Arizona is going to make it to a Super Bowl, they're going to have to more than likely go through Tampa Bay, and that may not be until the NFC Championship game. But if you were to ask me right now, you know, a Bucks team that just went all the way beyond Brady, guys that have won in the playoffs, and then the goat at quarterback, I would I would feel like Tampa Bay is the team to beat to get to the Super Duper out of the NFC. But Arizona's been amazing to watch and. Whatever rebuild they were on, they are way ahead of schedule. And Kyler Murray is one of the best players in the league.
2: I would say, BJ, they are a contender because everything you just said about I, – I, I get i get the part of not being a usual suspect, right? I get the part of, you know, Tom Brady, is, you know, obviously is controlling the NFC. Uh, you talk about, you know, Aaron Rodgers and what he's doing in Green Bay. I know, uh, you know what Matthew Stafford is doing right now. Him and Sean McVay got something going on right now with them Rams. But, B.J., you always talk about passing rating. Right now, this season, Kyler Murray has 2,002 yards, uh, you know, passing. Forget that. He has 17 touchdown passes. He has five picks. He has a a rating of 116.8. The young man is getting it done. You talk about A.J. Green. You talk about D Hop. You talk about Christian Kirk. They just added Zach Ertz. They just traded for him. You're talking about James Conner, John Conner, the Terminator. Either way, he's out there with him as well. The thing about it is Kyler Murray is getting better. you always talking about can guys make the jump. Yes, he's getting better. And he's what you love too, BJ. You said if I had a choice between a pocket pass and a dual threat, I want a dual threat. Kyler Murray might be the – Kyler Murray ain't Lamar Jackson. Don't have to be. Kyler Murray ain't Russell Westbrook. I mean, Russell Wilson don't have to be. Kyler, well, Deshaun Watson, he got to get on the field first. But for me, I, what Kyler Murray is, they're giving him weapons. A.J. Green came. Uh, you know, left Cincinnati wanting to go to Arizona. They just traded for Zach Ertz and, you know, James Condon, those guys. So, I mean, 17 touchdown passes, five picks, 116.8 rating shows that this guy is getting his done. He's not turning the football over. And people go, he got five, pick, five picks. Five picks means he's willing to take chances. So for me, BJ, yes. He's not, and he's not in a, he, he's in one of the hardest divisions in football. When you look at the fact that, I mean, San Francisco, Seattle, you know, you talk about, you know, uh, you talk about the Rams. So it's not like he's coming out of an easy division. Yes, I think those Arizona Cardinals are real. Kev K- Klingsberg, people trying to talk about him like Sean McVay, like, oh, the offense is play calling. I mean, like, you might want to slow down with that. But there was only one team that has zero losses. They reside in Arizona, and their quarterback is not even six feet tall. Yes, the Arizona Cardinals are legit.
0: I think Well, I'll, I'll reserve judgment until we get a little bit later in the season. But I, I don't. I don't know that I give them a great chance there in to get to the Super Bowl. All right, moving along. Take two, Miami beat nationally ranked NC State. Doggone it. We were talking about the picks last week, and I said, no, the ACC won't ACC itself, which if you don't know what we're talking about, if you're ranked and have a chance to play a good team and stay there, you will lose because that's what the ACC does. I said, no, not going to happen. I was so distraught, I called Dave Dorn after the game. I said, Dave, what happened? (laughs) He said this. I said, I've never agreed with you more in my life, Dave. (laughs) Was that enough, though, for Manny Diaz to cool off his hot seat there in Miami? Probably not.
1: And I don't know that that's inherently fair. Um,. Miami played played great, and give them a lot of credit. You mentioned it, Kevin, if an ACC team gets into the top 20, I think NC State was 19. I mean, you talked about it, I was listening, and then you picked against it, and I picked against it. But uh, look, Miami deserves a lot of credit for rallying to beat a really good team. NC State is solid, they are. They have a lot of good players. Uh, they're a top 25 type team, and Miami was able to, without the King, obviously, win that game. Their young quarterback, Tyler Van Dyke, I think he had four touchdown passes over 300 yards, so shout out to him. They rallied around uh, their head coach, but I think sometimes when the narrative's out there, right, when it's like, oh, Manny, Manny Diaz, uh, Diaz is on the hot seat. Manny Diaz is on the hot seat. Who's the next coach going to be? It's really hard to turn that back in the other direction. I mean, really hard. You know, you start seeing uh, names of potential coaching candidates. In some ways, you start talking like the coach has already been fired. Uh, so, if Miami can rally down the stretch, win some more big games, I think maybe. But when the, when the narrative is so established out there and it's not, at least on message boards and on social media, if, if somebody's going to get fired but when one win might help, but it doesn't cool it off, I think Miami still needs, to, still needs to win a few more games. That was a resilient performance. That was impressive out of the Canes on Saturday.
2: BJ, I will say it was impressive. I don't think it's going to be good enough because the thing about Manny Diaz is, unfortunately for him, two, three things, well, too many things are happening, you know, all at the same time. It's not helping in his favor. One, Clemson isn't Clemson this year. Florida isn't playing well. Florida State isn't playing well. And neither is Miami. So the big three in the state aren't playing well. Well, I mean, uh, you know, Mike Norvell might get a mulligan for the simple fact that, I mean, he had McKinsey Milton and they found a way to win games down the stretch they're gonna have to find a way to get it done because they just gave Dan Mullen 1.5 million dollar in the offseason, so He's not going anywhere. Manny Diaz is gonna Manny Diaz is gonna get fired because one, they beat a team in NC State without the Eric King. They're not one of the best teams in the ACC. They're probably still gonna lose to Clemson. They're not gonna They're not gonna be in the ACC championship game in a down year as far as like the ACC goes without having really a top dog. And is Miami nationally relevant again? Cause that's that, that's why they really firing him. You bring back Ed Reed. You got guys on campus being introduced to Air Reed. They don't even know who he is. That's how bad it has gotten. They're like, "This Air Reed. I don't know who that is." That's like when I went to South Carolina and they said that, "Hey, Michael Jordan spoke to the team and asked the team, hey, man, what you feel about Michael Jordan?' Oh, he stinks. I mean, he got the worst franchise. And, no, no, he's the greatest basketball player of all time. He ain't better than LeBron. So we live in a time where BJ, if you want helping the brand grow. Because that's what Miami wants to do. They want the brand to keep growing to get back to neck. Because when the last time Miami has been nationally relevant, they have made one, people counted, one ACC championship game. Hang ain't the Miami I played up against. I, I kind of wish I got got this Miami and not and not them early 2000 Miami teams. But I think he's going to get let go, BJ, because of reputation and perception, not the fact that he can win without Eric King because you couldn't win with him and you win it without him, that'll get you, you fired quicker than anything else.
0: I don't see Miami. No, they're going to make a change. I mean, they're 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 chasing their tail a little bit, as you said, uh, Ben. I, I I believe. All right, moving along. Take three. Bryce Young appears to be the favorite to win the Heisman. Who, though, is your top contender? Your number two.
1: Yeah, I think Bryce Young is the favorite. Got a story up on SouthernPigskin.com today about Bryce being the favorite for the Heisman. Uh, Had some uh, statistical milestones over the weekend. But man, Kevin, you were telling me about him late last week because I didn't have him at the top. I didn't have him right there in my top uh, three or four. But I think after Saturday, you have to take a very serious look at Kenny Pickett. And I know he was not a preseason candidate, but has had some massive, monster performances this year. And against Clemson, and keep in mind Clemson is not good, but their defense is still elite. Uh, they had a, they entered Saturday with a top ten pass efficiency defense rating uh, overall one of the best defenses in the country and Kenny Pickett completed 64% of his passes for 302 yards, two touchdowns, and zero turnovers and very rarely do you see quarterbacks go for 300 plus with no turnovers against against Clemson so I think Kenny Pickett maybe maybe kind of a late name relatively speaking to the party but you just did that to Clemson defensively. Normally when people beat Clemson or this year I should say it's like 17 17- to nine, or ten to three, like with Georgia. Kenny Pickett had a great game. I will put him in the number two slot, uh, slightly ahead of Matt Corral right now.
2: I love what Kenny Pickett is doing. I think that's a great pick by Kevin. I mean, them pit boys are finding a way to get it done, and they're doing it. CJ, you know they're going to bring a defense, but they're doing it with offense. Matt Corral, I mean, I mean him and Lane Kiffin, I mean, they, are, they are a match made in heaven when you talk about a guy that's a dual threat. CJ Stroud, people have kind of like, I don't know why people have soured on him at Ohio State. I mean, the guy's but I get it done, but for me, it's Caleb Williams. Because all those guys I mentioned before were all starters. Caleb Williams has superseded Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler has played his last down of football in Oklahoma unless Caleb Williams get hurt. That play he made this weekend, because sometimes your Heisman trophy moment might not be, you know, a big time play down the field. That play he made when he took the ball from his uh from the running back and got the first down to seal the win. That's instinct. People think, oh, sometimes the Heisman got the Heisman got maybe he didn't start the season. But Oklahoma has postseason aspirations, and the reason why they are on track is because the most highly sought-after position in football is not the starter, it is the backup quarterback. If I got a backup that keeps me on track, not to only win, but to keep our college football playoff hopes alive, it's got to be Caleb Williams. Love what Pickett is doing. Obviously, Matt Corral. You know, obviously when you think about, you know, Bryce Young and what he's doing. And but for me, BJ, I'm I'm gonna have to go with, you know, Mr. Caleb Williams. Big time school. Big-time hype, big-time pressure. Find a way to get it done. All right, I got a little bonus one for you. Take three
0: A, B, whatever you want to call it. Take three B. Because we've got to throw it in there on a day that the Braves go to the World Series. Tyler Matzik, where does that performance rank on your all-time Braves performance chart?
1: Right up there with 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 anything else you can name. I mean, it was it was it was incredible in terms of postseason moments. Um, when you think about not only the situation he was in, right, where you're talking about the Dodgers with momentum, two runners on, a chance to take the lead, uh, you come in, strike out the side. That's one thing. But who you did it against? I mean, to do it against Albert Pujols, a, a, a tremendous power hitter, one of the all-time great power. Uh, nope strikeout. Then you do it against the pinch hitter, Azusa, coming in off the bench, strikeout. Then there's Mookie Betts, one of the recent MVPs, maybe the best player in baseball, and and you're talking about two runners on one swing, I think, and it's a different ball game, and you come right at Betts, right at him, right at him. and that's what was most impressive to me, and look, I have all due respect uh, for pitchers that go out there and try to work the corners. I mean, those guys are magical, but there's something kind of visceral about watching a pitcher say, You're one of the best players in the game. I'm gonna challenge you. I'm gonna come right at you. If you beat me, you beat me. And then to watch the emotion, you know, the celebration, the the excitement to see Luke Jackson when I mean, they 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 showed him in the in the dugout, just him celebrating in terms of postseason moments, I think that's that's right up there with what Tyler Matzek did. Not only you did it against the Dodgers, not only with the game on the line, not only stepping into a bad situation, but to strike out Pujols and Betts—just remarkable.
2: For me, it's got to be top five, Kevin, because of the situation. Like when you get to talking about, you know, every 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 athlete talks about. Listen, man, I practice the way I do because when I call on my stuff, I want to be there. Well, when you talk about a pitcher, that's all I have. All I have is my stuff. And that situation, you think to yourself, now, Kevin, I mean, I'm like you and B.J., I'm thinking to myself, oh, God. Because, I mean, pitchers, it's all about the situation, right? That situation is about as rough as it gets. I mean, the Dodgers traded for Pujols. They traded for him. It's not like it's not that they needed any more help, but, B.J., you're talking about Mookie Betts. And, once again, sometimes it takes a situation to prove my worth. Like, oh, look, man, I want it. A lot of us talk about it. He wanted it, and Kevin, it's the way in which he did it. I think Tyler Massey, just like Eddie Rosario, regardless of what happens in listen, regardless of what happens in the World Series, we know how we want it to end. These guys are legendary now. Legends are born in October. Pitchers, oh my God, they're iconic. So for me, keep it up, Mr. Tyler Massey. find a way to go out there and get them. But BJ, but Kevin, once again though, I know, I know. Why we ain't talking about Mr. Will Smith though? I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah, we owe him an apology? I mean, no, uh, hey B- BJ. I mean, listen. It's Monday. Let's go ahead and whoa, get whoa, it out whoa, because whoa whoa, whoa,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa. We're talking about who owes Will Smith an apology, and the first person you come to is me.
2: Kevin Smith. Entire season. Whoa, pretty, you know, the miss is made. Kevin apologize. But yes, but Kevin apologized in private. Kevin, we need to apologize to that man in public right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've apologized, Will Smith. We owe him an apology. He's been fantastic. Uh, here in the postseason that's take three we do I, i'm willing to admit when i was wrong that's take three we do it each and every day here this time we'll come back we're talking georgia and florida or florida and georgia depending on who you would talk to Franz beard gator country will join us here on three and out when we return bulldogs gators georgia florida florida georgia however uh, you want to uh, to put that out there. I know depending on who you're talking to is how they'll uh, make sure that game is talked about. And joining us here from Gator Country, I'm sure he refers to it as Florida, Georgia. Franz Beer joins us here on 3 and Out. Franz, welcome. How are you? It's a good day.
4: How's everything out there in scenic Savannah?
0: Hey, we are uh, doing fantastic. Getting ready for another big, uh, big weekend uh, for Georgia and Florida. Gators and Bulldogs squaring off. Obviously... Georgia having a historic run here to start the season with the way their defense is playing. What is Dan Mullen and company trying to come up with to, to, to put points up on a, a Georgia team that really nobody else has been able to?
4: Well, if, if he does put up points, it's going to be a first this year. But I will say this, Mullen uh, was, wasn't given much of a chance to put up points on Alabama And he put on 29, and quite frankly, uh, Florida should have won that ball game. Now I'm not going to say Florida's going to beat Georgia, but I will say this. Scoring points, Mullen knows how to do that. My my concern isn't so much with Florida being able to score a few points, because I think they will. Uh, Will they score enough? I don't know. And that's because I don't trust the Florida defense to get any kind of stops at all.
1: Quarterback position for Florida has been something that's been talked about uh, all season. What do you think we see there? Is it, it is it going to be Emory Jones? Could it be Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson? Or do we not know yet?
4: Well, Dan is saying he's going to play both, and I think that's probably the smart thing to do because uh, you don't want to tip your hand. You don't want uh, you don't want these folks to up at Georgia to spend all their time. You know, eighty percent of it say game planning for one guy. I think he's going to play both of them. Uh, There are situations when Emory has played very well. Uh, He played with the exception of an interception he threw against Alabama when he was getting hit. He played a, a very, very solid game against them. The one problem I see that he has is that he will take the short safe throw when there's an open throw downfield, and I don't think you could beat Georgia with safe throws. Therefore, I think uh, if, if somebody's going to play the bulk of the snaps, I think it's going to be Anthony Richardson. But I don't think you telegraph that ahead of time.
2: And, hey, friends, you kind of mentioned earlier when you talked about the fact that Dan Mullen is a guy that can definitely go out there and put you know put points on the board. But something that Kevin said earlier: if if you know Florida does lose this game, which is going to be hard for them to win. How impressive do they have to look in a losing effort?
4: Well, I, th- I think Florida. I think Florida it has the potential to play Georgia in a very close game. A win that you know could be white knuckles down the end because, then, as you remember, back in two thousand two, Georgia was an astronomical favorite to beat Florida. Uh, Georgia came in the game ranked number five nationally and unbeaten, and and nobody was doing anything against them. And you had Rex Grossman, who had a sore arm. uh, And so uh, that was the game that Florida became the master of the two-inch pass and beat Georgia doing it. Um, So strange things happen in this game. Will they happen this time? I don't know. Georgia is a prohibitive favorite Uh, and and should be. Based on what they've done so far and based on how erratic Florida has been, Georgia should be uh, a prohibitive favorite. But that being said, then you've seen, for example, in in 2002 how the, the scales were tipped. In uh, 2008, they, they come in there, and Georgia is favored with Matt Stafford having beaten Florida the year before, and Florida hung 49-10 to 10 on them, and so forth, 2014, for example. Georgia, on the other hand, has flipped the field on Florida two or three times in the past, too. So anything happens in this game, but I think that, rightly so, Georgia should be favored by a large margin.
2: Friends, what do you attribute that to? I mean, you talk about 2002, you talk about 2000, you know, You talk about 2014. I understand when I first got to Florida, this whole mind game thing, but it, but it was under the Spurrier years, and we go from that to the Zook years. But what do you attribute it to? I mean, Treon Harris was only allowed to throw the ball five times when they was able to go out there and get a, get a big win. with I think that's the only win in Must Champs history. What do you attribute this this crazy? Because I know Georgia has a freaky little, crazy little relationship with Auburn. You could you could say that the cocktail party for those that still don't call it that. What makes this game so crazy with one team usually being the, you know, the the favorite usually not having the momentum? Well,
4: uh, it is a, it is the ultimate rivalry game and and these guys know each other. They've been on the recruiting trips together and so forth like that. Florida's got a bunch of kids from Georgia, Georgia's got a bunch of kids from Florida. Uh, They've all been to camp together and stuff like that, and they understand the intensity of this rivalry. Uh, You know, Ben, I've been to the Red River rivalry. I've been to, you know, Oklahoma, Texas out there, and I've been to just about every big rivalry game there is, but there is none like Florida, Georgia. Um, I've never seen anything like it. The stadium is half and half. They used to do it in quadrants, to where it was red, black, one, one uh, half, uh, you know, it, it was uh, every other half of the field, uh, quadrant of the field, was red and black or orange and blue. Now they do it, one side is, is all Georgia, one side is all Florida. But that hadn't taken away from the feeling of the rivalry, and, and people gear up for this. It's not just the players the fans come into this game uh there are people already gathering in Jacksonville. I know because I've had people tell me they're leaving in their motor home right now to go to Jacksonville. Games not till Saturday, but they're going to be there uh tonight and the the people will just keep on gathering in there till Friday in Jacksonville is an absolute zoo um, The game means so much. And Ben, I'm going to ask you something. When your bus came over that bridge that first time and you looked down at the stadium, what happened to your what happened? Did every hair on your on your body stand up?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't I don't know how much body hair I had at the time, but whatever I had did stand up, but the, but the thing about it, friends, I don't I don't know if people know this, all I saw was red and black and the Georgia fans was actually on our side. And they was pushing our bus when it parked, and you know security just let them do. Obviously, it wasn't no, it wasn't no physical altercation or nothing like that. But you're right; it's like you don't realize how crazy it is. And obviously, everybody's packing in Jacksonville to see you. I'm an 18-year-old wide-eyed freshman, just doing my best to say not mess up. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, when are we gonna see the orange and blue? I don't know how the Georgia play side. Maybe they had Florida, Florida fans on their side. But what was crazy is. You know, I, you know, being you know being a you know a, a guy that got to be in this rivalry, it is crazy because you don't realize how much it means to the fans until you actually get there, and there is a genuine love and hate relationship going on. But it is about as genuine as it get. I mean, my father and mother went to the game not too many years ago, and my dad had on an all blue jump man, you know, from Georgia, a fit, and my mom said a, a, a Georgia player. A Georgia fan told him, I know who your son is, I know who you your, you you are, and y'all made the wrong choice. <laughs>
4: well, it, it's kind of that way, and, and of course, you know, for for the spurrier years, uh, let's face it, Georgia did make the wrong choice. You know, PJ Bay went to Georgia did make the wrong choice. It was eleven out of twelve and Urban uh, My Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer uh, beat Georgia five out of six years. So We've had these streaks of dominance. I mean, goodness, back in the 1980s, Vince Dooley would just kind of show up there. And and uh, I'm convinced that, that, you know, you know how dogs will, uh, dogs will uh, you know, they'll pee someplace and they're marking their territory so they know how to get back home. I'm convinced that Vince Dooley went in there and peed in the end zones and Georgia knew that's where they're supposed to go. And they came in there and just beat the Gators all the time. But, uh, you know... <laughs> It was, it was unbelievable how Florida could, could find ways to lose ball games they could not lose, like run, Lindsey, run. I remember that. I remember Richard Appleby on a tight end around a uh, touchdown pass, 75 yards to Richard Washington. And Henry Davis, who didn't give up a, a touchdown pass in all the games prior to that and didn't give up another one, steps in a puddle. And falls down, and they, Georgia gets a, a, a touchdown pass on the. Mo, I think I don't think they completed another pass the whole game. They may have completed one or two, and they win the game ten to seven. Uh, strange things happen in this game, and they've happened to both teams, like Anthon Lott calling timeout in in nineteen ninety three. Uh, or was it '92? It, might have, it, it, was, it was in '92. That's right. He calls timeout, and Florida ends up winning that ball game because he called timeout. And I know Georgia fans hate it, but the replays of the game show he got the, he had the call of the timeout before the ball was snapped. So, you know, but just the same, that's just a, just one example of how weird this game can be. And so I look at it like this. Something weird's going to happen. Now, is it going to be something weird that tilts the game one way or the other? is it going to be something weird like Florida pulling the unthinkable and scoring a decisive win? I don't know. I don't know. This is, this is one time that I'm going over to Jacksonville and I have no clue, other than the fact that Georgia is, is supposed to win big and – Everybody in Las Vegas and the world thinks they're going to.
0: Franz Beard, our guest here with uh, Gator Country. Friends, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much.
4: Thank you, guys. I appreciate it.
0: Appreciate it. Appreciate him joining us. Uh, hey, a lot of great stories there from uh, Georgia, Florida. Maybe that puddle he stepped in could have been from Ben Stooley. You never know. Uh, with, uh, with <laughs> I mean, what a, what, a, what, a great, uh, what a great time there. But, uh, yeah, Georgia, Florida, you do never know in rivalry games. Weird stuff usually happens. That's what makes the rivalry game great in the first place, BJ, is when you see these games. And it's not just Georgia, Florida, but others where there's a big, long, drawn-out dislike of the other side. Usually some weird stuff happens to get it to that point.
1: I think that's a good way to put it. I think Franz is right. You know, there's going to be something something that happens that tilts momentum. Is it is it a turnover? I always say keep an eye on special teams in big games. Or is it, you know, a uh, maybe a player that's not a superstar coming through with a big time conversion. Something's going to happen early. How the teams respond will tell the tale.
2: I just hope it is in Florida's uh, favor, BJ and Kevin, but yeah, a lot of I man, I I've I was involved with some crazy things. People go back to 2002, and I mean, I was blessed enough to be able to catch the game with a touchdown pass. What people don't realize what led to that was Taylor Jacobs, who was the, uh, who was leading, uh, the leading receiver coming into that game in the SEC, uh, hurt his ankle in the first quarter, so we had to really change up the whole game plan. So Carlos Perez, and Kelvin Kite, Aaron Walker, and myself, and Rex Grossman, yes, we did it with a, with a screen. And the thing is, I know Thomas Davis, who is in, who is going into the Florida-Georgia Hall of Fame in 2021 inductee, I told him something after the game that I should not have told him. I said, Thomas, yeah, if we run a screen, yeah, and I am blocking you, and you are inside of me, can't you make the play? He says, yes. I go, go back and watch the tape. There is 0% chance that you can make a play when you are inside of me, and I am blocking you. I always have outside leverage, but... I saw Terrence Edwards drop a pass. I saw Randall McMichael drop a touchdown pass in this game. I've seen crazy things happen in this game. see DJ Shockley and you know I love you. I seen DJ Shockley, a a uh, a two-time SEC champion, a SEC, MVP, SEC game uh, championship MVP, throw a pick trying to throw it to Terrence Edwards, picked off by Gus Guy, a Jacksonville, Florida native. So hey man, we hopefully want hopefully a lot of those things go. Them Florida Gators way this Saturday. And we've got more to come here on 3 and Out when we come back. Shannon Snell, former Gators All-American
0: offensive lineman, will join us. How do they block that front defensive unit for Georgia? We'll see if
2: he's got any answers for us. And we return. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. It is Florida, Georgia, Georgia, Florida, whatever you want to call it. I, I call it Florida, Georgia because I went to Florida, and that's it. Get mad if you want to. I am being true. That is Kevin Thomas. He is B.J. Bennett. And next up, Pitmaster offensive of guard, Florida Gator <laughs> legend, first-team All-American, whatever you want to call him, the great Shannon Snell. What's going on with you today, Shannon? True. What's up, man? How you feeling, brother? I'm feeling good. Now, Shannon, look, I know that for the last three years it wasn't in Dan Muller's contract to run the football, but I don't know what got into him And in this offensive of line. We are ranked fourth in the country. How much is that run game going to be a deciding factor come Saturday? Uh, it's going to be big. I mean, Georgia's defensive line is going to
5: be the best defensive line that Florida's seen all season. And this is, you know, as well as they played, this is going to be their first real test. I mean, it's going to be the the point where these guys have, if Florida's offensive line is being for real, and then one of the reasons that they could win this game on Saturday is because of that offensive line. So it's a test for both the offensive line for Florida and the and the defensive line of Georgia. as It'll be the best that each one has faced all year.
1: Shannon, you mentioned that Georgia defensive front. I mean, overwhelming opponents uh, to date. What's going to be the biggest key for Florida up front to limit the damage of Georgia's front seven?
5: Well, first of all, they're going to have to get past the, uh, the the hoopla. Normally when you come out, in the early mistakes. Normally for, for Florida, if you want to execute a game plan, especially being a team that runs the ball quite a bit now, is to kind of limit those mistakes early on. We saw against Alabama. Uh, that, you know, once those mistakes started happening, there was a couple missed assignments, but once they started getting rolling, um, they were fine. It really is limiting those early mistakes and really, you know, play your game. A lot of times you get hyped up for playing, uh, you know, a, a team of the caliber of Georgia and get, playing against some guys that are really highly ranked. Uh, I think they need to let go of the fact of what their stars were or where they were supposed to be ranked or what they're being talked about as and play their game and play how well they, they've been playing all season.
0: Shannon Snell, Jordan is here on three and out. And, and, Shannon, you look at going up against a defense that doesn't give up pretty much anything uh, in, in Georgia. Where can they be attacked? Where can Florida try to have success against a group that doesn't allow anything to anybody?
5: Well, first of all, they got to be balanced. That's the first and foremost thing for Georgia. They want to get you into bad situations, third and long, second and long, and really force the issue by you know creating a, a really heavy pass, uh, a pass rush attack. For Florida, we're not, we are not. We don't want to get back into the spot we were last year where you're dropping back 50 times a game. Don't get behind the sticks. Florida's got to be really good um, about at least making it second and medium and third and short and really uh, keeping the defense off balance. You see against, you know, even against Kentucky, Kentucky was really good about kind of keeping to their game plan, not be, not dropping back 100 million times, uh, being able to kind of keep some, some sort of balance to keep, you know, in Georgia, you know, for every great athlete that they have, they don't know every offensive play, so Keep it balanced. Try to keep them on their toes, and you'll you'll have a better outcome on offense.
1: Shannon, the quarterback situation, a lot of speculation. Does Florida play Emory Jones, Anthony Richardson? Do they play both guys? What do you think is the best option uh, for Dan Mullen at quarterback?
5: You know, I'm a, I got to defer to Dan because he knows better. But if anybody's watching, and, and I'm a guy that, that thinks Anthony Richardson should be the guy, um, you know, I, I think that's probably what it is. He's shown in every game he's played, minus one where he didn't get a whole lot of snaps, uh, that he's been explosive. He's uh, taken plays that might have been a broken play and made something out of them. Um So, you know, when you have a guy like that, that's really a, an added benefit, not to mention he can run the ball. Uh, he can put the ball on the rope. So he's he's got all the intangibles, uh, except for being in a really, really big game. You know, he didn't get the chance to play in that Alabama game, our our biggest game up to date. So, I mean, if, if Dan does decide to start him, which I think he's earned that right just by what he did against uh, LSU in his last game, um, I think Florida probably would have a better outcome. But once again, Emory did such a great job against Alabama. I think we saw the best of Emory Jones in that game. If he could replicate that, I think Florida still has a great shot. Shannon, you
2: being a guy that played in the trenches, playing against guys, I mean, you, it's not like you went against slouches at Georgia. I mean, Richard Seymour, Marcus Stroud, David Pollock, Charles Grant, and the list goes on and on. But there is a monster by the name of Jordan Davis. He you, you cannot move him. If you're going up against a guy like that who obviously is there to just put a lot of pressure on the center to make it to where, you know, you just take him out of the progression run game or passing game, how would you attack a guy that big, that fast, you know, uh, that athletic?
5: You got to think about it just keeping two guys on him, double him. Like he, if, he, if he's at the three technique, sliding your center to the, you know, and pass protection to the three technique, or if he's playing that nose, doubling him with the guard in, in the run game. I mean, it really is important. Not to put your guys on a one-on-one uh, situation, and I think Florida's done a really good job with that all season, is sliding to the strength. Now, the only time that I didn't see them do it and they lost quite a few one-on-ones was with uh, the number four from Kentucky, and he was a pretty good player. Uh, Jordan Davis is probably better than that. So I, I think Dan and, and crew, and, and um, I think they have a plan. I think they had a plan in mind to account for him because if, you know, allow that guy to kind of run loose, they're gonna- he's going to wreck a game plan and really put Florida behind the uh, eight ball uh, before the game even really gets started.
0: Shannon Snell joining us here on 3-and-out. And, out and uh, defensively, I know uh, for Florida, are, are you really preparing for anything different if it's JT Daniels or Stetson Bennett quarterback for Georgia?
5: No, I think Georgia watched the LSU game and realized Florida can be pretty weak up front. If you can out them, you can run the ball on them. And Georgia's always kept some good offensive linemen. They've kept a game, game plan where they run the ball. Normally in the, in the series – uh, going back to, you know, even when I was playing, is that the team that rushes the ball uh, the most successfully ends up winning the game. Now, that's changed a little bit over the years once or twice, but, you know, the team that rushes the ball most efficiently is probably going to end up winning this game. It's about ball control. I like to say that this game's not going to be, uh, you're not going 40, to see 49-42. to It's going to be a little bit more of a defensive struggle, and especially with all the, the criticism that the defense for Florida has gotten over the last couple of weeks. I think they settled down. I think they actually end up playing well, but in the same breath, is that you still have to be able to break past that Georgia defense. I do think Georgia is going to try to go long, hit some big plays, maybe stay away from Kyrie Elam, uh, maybe try to you know hit down the, the middle of the, the middle seams, the safeties, try to make it a little bit of a different game. So just expect the unexpected from Georgia. They're not going to just line up, and hit you in the mouth. They're going to do some things that are really going to challenge Florida uh, on the on the defensive front and in the in the secondary.
1: And Shannon, we always hear Ben reflect on the rivalry. When you think back your time playing against Georgia,
5: what stands out that we never lost to them? <laughs> you know, we get to a point that you know, it's, you know, I don't know what it's like to lose to Georgia, and that's you know, truth was the same way when we came in. It was always that rivalry, and troop being from Georgia and me being from Florida, it was that that important fact that you have to win this game, or this game came down a lot. A lot of it came down to recruiting. It came down to that border war, which we used to call it. Um, you know, it was always so exciting when we come over to the St. John's River and we see all those Florida and Georgia fans out there tailgating and stuff. It was one of my favorite games of the year because it was just a split right down the middle. You had a sea of red and black and then a sea of orange and blue. And I really, it really is my favorite game to watch every single year, even since I was playing. Uh, just so many memories about, you know, uh, and every game was close. There was never a game that we played, Georgia, where we blew them out. I think the biggest score that we we won by was like 24 to 10 in my sophomore year. But it was just always a competitive game. Georgia, no matter what, no matter what their record is. And even this weekend, it's going to be a competitive game. I don't think anybody has to worry about the fact that it's going to be a 42-7 or a blowout or something that's going to be really, really uh, abnormal. This game is it's a rivalry game and, and expect the players to treat it as such.
0: Shannon Snell, our guest here on 3 and Out. Shannon, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me. Appreciate it. Shannon Snell joining us here on three and out as uh, Georgia and Florida going to square off there in Jacksonville has been said uh, pit master. So he might be grilling up a uh, a feast there for the game. You can get some tailgating tips from him next time we have him
2: on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I ain't get a chance to really come at Shannon. I mean, i uh, known Shannon for a long time. Man, I met Shannon 21 years ago, people. That's how long it's been since I've been in college, but I mean, none of these guys couldn't, listen, couldn't boil a hot dog when he was in college and then he could leave. And now, <laughs> now he, you know, now he got beef tips and all these different things. But playing with guys like Shannon, Sna- I mean, I think he said it. I mean, Shannon being from Tampa, Florida, his daddy being playing in the NFL, him him, him always saying he wanted to be a gay to me, obviously growing up, not a Georgia fan, but understanding who Georgia was and just realize how big this game is because it's different than bragging rights. You want to, like I said, Talk all the trash you want to talk about the Florida Georgia Georgia Florida series. We went four and oh, we was there four years, didn't lose for four years, and we went against the Quincy Carter's and the David Greens and the D J. Shockers and the Richard C. Seymour's and the Kendra Bells. Took that L. I, we, <laughs> listen, I know, I know we weren't, I know we weren't eating WSBJ B J. like James Winston say, but we, but well, we was definitely serving up some L's to them Georgia Bulldogs. So <laughs> hey, it's and I, I, and like I said, I, I give it to my teammates more than I give it to myself. I'm, I'm, I'm blessed and humble to have been a part of this thing, and I, I just appreciate the fact that hopefully we can get another W this weekend on that Florida uh, we'll side.
0: We'll see. We'll talk with John Stinchcomb coming up in the final hour, former uh, Georgia All-American offensive lineman. He'll join us about an hour or so from now. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Now you want to talk about Georgia's cynicism, uh, BJ? I did have a little bit over the weekend when the Dolphins dropped a touchdown pass on the Falcons with two minutes. I was like, well, there's another one. Uh, for the Falcons, and then they come down the field. A great catch by Kyle Pitts, who had seven catches, one hundred sixty-three yards. And then Youngway Koo walking it off. Falcons getting a little uh, a little mo there. They're up back to five hundred, three and three uh, in the league with a Young Youngway Koo walk off.
1: Yeah, he's great. One of the best kickers in the league, without question. Uh, another huge kick from him. Ben Kevin mentioned the production from Kyle Pitts. I know we running out of time here, but one hundred sixty-three yards this fast.
2: The future. Is here, people? I told y'all, Kyle Pitts. I want to see him get in that zone. But seven for one, sixty-three—that is my career in one game. Shout out to that young, shout out to that young boy with eight on his chest, Pitts on his back, representing the boys two times. Yeah, I want to say I saw or uh, Somebody tweet out that
0: it was the best tight end production in terms of yardage in a game, maybe in like twenty or thirty years for the Atlanta Falcons uh, with Tony Gonzalez and some of those guys. Hard to believe, but a huge day there. For number 8 Kyle Pitts and the Atlanta Falcons. We'll come right back. Braves in the World Series. Got to be fired up about that. We'll also hear from Matt Stinchcomb. John Stinchcomb. Flower here of 3 and Out on this Monday. John Stinchcomb. I said Matt going into the top of the hour. I panicked up against the top of the hour. It's John Stinchcomb. All-American at Georgia. He will join us. We're talking Georgia and Florida. Uh, coming up here on the show with him in just a little bit. But the Braves are in the World Series. BJ and Ben, for the first time since 1999. Let's put that in perspective. There is not one person playing college athletics or younger who was alive the last time the Braves were in a World Series. So you got people in their young 20s going, man, this is cool. I ain't never seen it happen before. Well, it's been a long time for the rest of us. As I told my son the other day, he goes, so dad, the Braves won a World Series in 95 I'm like they 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 did. He's like they haven't won one since? I said, "Nope, that's the only one they've won since I've been alive, so you better enjoy it if they get there and win it." And this team's entering with a lot of momentum.
1: It's amazing. It's amazing because it's it's one thing to sort of reach a destination and and to be to be clear, the Braves are not done, but the World Series is is such a milestone. It's one thing to reach that when the expectation is in is in place like the Dodgers, right? Last year this even this year. Everybody said, "Oh, LA is going to be in the World Series." Even though Atlanta was a three-time defending champion, the more the season went on, I think, you know, what was it Kevin? Back in back in August, the Braves, you know, had not even been above 500 or something like that. I don't think even the most optimistic Braves fan thought we're going to be in the World Series. Maybe you can get into the playoffs, but then with some limitations in your starting rotation, the bullpen was not playing well. Uh, you know, you didn't quite know what was going to happen at the trade deadline, and all of those additions proved to be just staggeringly successful. And for Atlanta to rally the way they the way they did is is incredible. And uh, you know, getting a comment there from Buster, Bra- uh, yeah, I mean, I understand the Braves are an all time great organization, but I think within the context of this season especially after Ronald Acuna's injury, I don't think there was a widespread consensus that Atlanta was going to make a deep playoff run. And then the guys who bring it at the trade deadline, just an incredible boost. Uh, Down the stretch, the way Max Fried and Charlie Morton pitched, incredible. Here in the postseason, Eddie Rosario, Braves legend. And yes, you can officially say that. I don't care if he strikes out every time in the World Series. Eddie Rosario is a Braves legend. Tyler Matzik coming in, spotlight, against Mookie Betts, Albert Pujols, you know, strikes out the side with two runners on. Uh, this This is magical. This is storybook in terms of what they've done in the postseason, and I don't think they're done. I think there's reason to take this series and view it with great confidence and great optimism because you have the momentum. The way you finished off the best team in the game, a lot of people will tell you, is a great springboard forward. So this is history. Uh, this is something that Braves fans will always remember and hopefully looking ahead to tomorrow, this is a team that's just getting started.
2: Uh what I what I love the most about this Braves team and that they are battle tested. You talk about a season unlike anything I've ever seen in uh, you know, baseball Kevin with the win loss, win loss, win loss. You talk about when our when Ron Lacuna Jr. went down, and everybody thought, okay, with well, the season is probably done. I I saw I saw Freddie Freeman, you know, uh you know, uh, going to slump this season, and, and, you know, I, and obviously you see how he ended the season. We talked about, you know, Kevin arguably the, the greatest, you know, Braves infield in Braves history. That's taking nothing away from the guys that came through because you're talking about up against legendary status. But I, obviously Eddie Rosario is already a Braves legend regardless of what happens. But look at, look at, look at this bullpen. BJ, you talk about Matt Zing and what he's doing, right? But look at Mentor. Look at Will Smith. And it's like these guys are saying, hey, fellas, I know y'all carried us during the year. We got y'all now. It's like we we ready now. We we went through the bumps and the bruising, the ups and the downs. You look at you look at, I think about all the storylines this season, but everybody was thinking that 2021 was gonna be deja vu of 2020. It was. It just didn't end up the way the Dodgers fans thought it was gonna be. It didn't end up the way the, and the thing about it is people go, how much better is the Dodgers team? You got a Mookie Betts? You added poo holes. I know you didn't have it. I know, I know Clayton Kershaw wasn't there. This is about as loaded of a lineup as you're gonna get. And then Will Smith, last, last, his last three pitches went to Mookie Betts. When Mookie came to the plate, they was like, this is what we wanted. And Will Smith was probably saying, This is what I want too. Yeah. I want to get judged against the best. And I under, and Kevin, I know that I know that BJ wasn't on the show that day, and we would say, wait a minute. Will Smith is fourth? in the majors two away from being first in the majors and save so i just look at how legendary will it be if this Braves team go out there and win because it's going to mean that everybody's going to have to really look back at the season and say all the contributions that came from so many guys, from even the new guys, with so and those guys and everybody, everybody. So I just think that BJ what stood out to me is everybody got to be on display in the NLCS. Everybody, not just Freddie Free. not just I, not Ozzy, not just Dansby, not just uh, you know uh, you know Austin. I mean Austin Riley, those guys. It was everybody. So I am looking forward to the World Series, Kevin, because. Like I said, it was a lot of theatrics in that game six, man. I mean, it was up and down, but everybody seemed to come, and they bailed Luke Jackson out. That's what good bullpens do. You bail your teammate out, and they bailed him out because – Kevin, I go back two years ago when Luke Jackson was asked to do everything coming out of that bullpen when everybody else was hurt, when nobody really complained then. So I think that everybody's earned their key. But shout-out to that young man, Ian Anderson, a guy that BJ thought should got called up too early. He, You see how much you grow, BJ, when you get called up early and you get to play in the playoffs? Look at how much that – because Kevin say, listen, the only way they're going to get playoff experience is throwing them in there. Look how much better he was in year two. Shout-out to them Braves. You did it against that immovable object known as them Dodgers. And if you're a Dodgers fan, George Reister – I'm going to be hitting you up later on this week, man. I got to get your hat size.
0: Look, I, I think this Braves team is playing with a lot of confidence right now, uh, BJ. I, I And again, I know there's the whole, oh, well, it was us Braves fans, but look, go into this World Series with confidence. You have a great team that is taking the field. Doesn't mean you're going to win it, but you have a great team. Uh, look at the lineup. I said this to start the show. Look at the lineup the Braves are running out there. That goes toe to toe with anybody. Offensively, pitching has been very good, especially in tight spots. For the most part, here, I mean, you look at the guys who have contributed. Even when your starters, uh, Max Fried didn't have a good outing, you've had guys fill in. Drew Smiley gave you four. Tyler Matzik has been the best thing you got going out of that Braves bullpen. Will Smith has been incredible. I had some folks talking about, uh, you know, we were in a group uh, chat and somebody's like, "Oh man, Will Smith." So it's I'm like, go look at the numbers. Yo, Will Smith, an apology. I do. Everybody. Last 10 innings, which spans 10 games because he only really pitches one one inning at a time. Last 10 innings, he's given up three hits. That's it. Three hits in 10 innings. That's getting it done. That is getting it done. Uh, if you're if you're Will Smith, say what you want. So, go into this Houston series with confidence that you are a good ball club and you are playing really, really well. And you've got a lineup that goes toe-to-toe with anybody. And I think you look at the Braves teams of the past. uh, BJ, go back to the 95 or even the 99 teams. They had really good starting pitching. Maybe their offense wasn't necessarily the best. Or you had a Chipper Jones and an Andrew Jones, but they had to carry the offense. So if they had a bad series, that was tough. Look at this lineup now. You've got, what, four or five guys that, even whether it was for the Braves or other teams, have hit over 20, uh, four or five guys hit over 30, and you've got at least six or seven guys that have hit 25 or more. And and you're doing it without Ronald Acuna. Who would add even more to that? So I look at this team and say, look, this is an offense unlike we've usually not seen in Atlanta. To go with a bullpen that's really playing well, to go with starting pitching that I think you trust, and trust in a big way. So, again, I think you go into this series confident in your ability. I'm not saying you're going to win because Houston is a great team. But going to this thing confident, not waiting for the other shooter to drop, saying, oh, no, this is a good team, a very good team. Uh, that, oh, by the way, since the trade deadline happened and the Braves made all those moves, name a team that's had a better record in baseball. Oh, wait, you can't because it's the Braves. Best record in baseball since the trade deadline. It's a good team, man. I, look, I, again, I know Braves, again, it's an Atlanta thing. You can't Get over it. It's a good team.
1: And they are the hottest team in baseball. The numbers reflect that. I think the confidence is there. You know, you can see the conviction in the big moments in that L.A. series, whether it was, you know, a pitcher coming through, whether it was, uh, you know, somebody at the plate, Eddie Rosario, great defensive plays from Dansby, from Riley, from Adam Duvall in center field. I mean, you can you can see the poise. You can see that this is what the Atlanta Braves expect to be doing. And it's so remarkable uh, to think about this team not long ago, couldn't win two games in a row. Now they the hottest team in baseball. But here's something I wanted to ask you, Kevin, because Braves haven't been to the World Series in a while. We haven't had to think about this. Tomorrow and in the games in Houston, you will have the designated hitter. So you have a deep lineup. You have options. Uh, Jorge Soler is back. Obviously, Jock Peterson has been incredible in a pinch-hitting role. How would you kind of manage the lineup uh, who would you plug in at, at, at DH, and where would you bat him in the order?
0: I mean, I'm looking at Jorge Soler as my DH, only because he has not played a whole lot of baseball in the last week or so when he had to go out with, with the positive COVID test. So, I'm looking at him saying, look, don't put him in a position where he's got to go out there and just jump right in. Take your cuts and and, and get it done. I would – I mean, look, Rosario is so hot, you would – Risk Temptation putting Soler back up there where he was performing so well. But, I mean, BJ, if you put him fifth behind Austin Riley, where's the easy out in the lineup, especially with the DH? Like, where's the guy in the lineup that you look at and say, yeah, we if we get in a jam and this guy comes up, we're good. Where? No, who, who, no, it's
1: incredible. It, yeah, it's incredible because let's say you bat Rosario leadoff, which I think you clearly should. He is the best hitter on earth right now. He is, as good as it gets, already a Braves legend. And, and I know they've flip flop based on the matchups, you know, Albies or Freeman. But let's say you go with the, you know, Freeman-Albies, then you're talking about the reigning MVP and a perennial all-star. Then you look at Austin Riley, who's in the MVP conversation this year at cleanup. And then if you go with Solaire 5, your five-hole hitter had – had what the most home runs in in the American League two years ago, and then your number six guy Adam Duvall leads the National League in RBI. Your number your number six hitter has the most RBIs in the National League, and then you are talking about you know potentially Swanson with the twenty five plus home runs. I mean, it's you you have talent everywhere, uh, and, and I do agree with you. Kind of first statement when you say the Astros, you think oh that lineup. In, Atlanta is just as good, just as good.
2: Not only is Atlanta just as good, Kevin and BJ, I mean, listen, we need to stop talking about Atlanta like they're not one of the last two teams standing. They've earned this. This isn't because, oh, the Dodgers didn't have some. No, they earned this. And they've been earning this the last four years. When you think about it, I don't think there is a guy in the front office that's done more in four years than Alex Anthopoulos because of what he inherited. And everybody thought the SNP wasn't going to work, and it has worked. They had superseded expectations because they didn't build a team around one guy. It seemingly everybody they brought in in the trade deadline or whoever they got in one-year deals has seemingly worked. Your best player on the team, are not named Freddie Freeman, is not out there. And you still getting it done. So I agree that we're giving a lot of respect to Houston. But like Kevin say, if this lineup gets to match it with the Braves, who's going to deal with them? I mean, these guys, score, they score runs in bunches. And if that and they can play complimentary, I, I say complimentary pitching with, with with this lineup, I think they're going to be just fine because Houston saw the Braves. Houston has seen the Braves over the years, and think about the think about the guys that got added to the team. That said, oh, I watched this Braves team, man, when I was on. They looked like a fun team to play with. So I'm just happy that the Braves have earned their way here. I want you know, and and like I said, Kevin, come going into this. Uh, we we know that Rosario got the hot bat right now. Who's going to have the hot bat in this series? Because you got a lineup that anybody on this Braves lineup. Can't hurt you, and hopefully they will.
0: Yeah, again, uh, go into this game tomorrow night. Game one should be a lot of fun. And, again, I think the dynamic – we'll talk more about this, uh, obviously, tomorrow ahead of game one, uh, B.J. and Ben. But the dynamic of what you just had with the Dodgers series has not changed. You go to their place, win one of two, come back to Atlanta, right? You get three at home. Uh, And so I I look at that, and that's got to be the strategy. Get off to a great start in Game 1, and who knows what will happen with the way this Braves team is playing. And the Astros announced today Lance McCullers not going to pitch in the World Series. That's a big loss for them. He's pitched great as one of their starters, so uh, tough for the Astros. But, hey, no excuses. Again, people came out today. Oh, well, the Dodgers uh, didn't have Bauer and didn't have the – look, Braves didn't have Ronald Acuna. Braves did not have Mike Soroka. I mean, how good would that team be with those two guys in this lineup? Uh, just becoming a, an even more dangerous team. So everybody's dealt with ups and downs. Marcelo Zuna's not on the team anymore for the Braves. They've had their own struggles. So spare me all the this guy's out, this guy's out. Everybody's dealing with that. Now it's just time to go win four games and be the champion at the end of the day. We've got more to come uh, here on 3 and Out. We've got Sid Bream. Braves legend. We'll hear from him when we return. And uh, shortly after, Sid, we'll chat with John Stinchcomb, former All-American lineman at the University of Georgia, and we'll talk Georgia-Florida with him. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.